welcome to another episode of Yield Hunters where we share with you about newborn issues and hold discussions on the fixed income market. I'm Sarah Chia from Bond Supermart, an online platform that provides you with information on bonds, transparent prices, tools, and research at your fingertips. Today, I have with me Ong Ziyang, Senior Macro Analyst from IFAS Singapore. We're going to take a look at markets from a big picture perspective and think about the implications of low interest rates for investors. Thanks for inviting me onto your podcast. These are pretty exciting times. My pleasure. With the volatility in the market, I'm grateful you could find time off your desk to join us. I think we can both agree that 2020 has honestly been a rollercoaster ride for many of us, and for the markets as well. Before we kickstart our discussion, could you just briefly run us through what the past eight months have been like for the macro environment? Of course. As a recap, we started this year hoping that the US-China trade tensions to subside, considering that the two largest economies were back on the negotiation table. And then that will pave way for the global growth to rebound, after the series of serious trade disruption caused by the escalating trade war of 2019. And then the pandemic happened. Exactly. The coronavirus pandemic definitely came as a surprise to everyone. The outbreak that has been more devastating than SARS almost 20 years ago. Not only has this pandemic led to one of the worst health crises in modern history, it has also directly induced a global recession, having added more pins to economies that were already weakened by last year's trade war. To make matters worse, the US-China tensions have also resurfaced and has evolved into many other fronts, from trade tariffs to sanctions on technological firms like Huawei and TikTok, to the political sanctions of government officials. Yeah, the world is definitely not in its best shape. How do you say these events affected the markets? Throughout this year, global capital market has actually undergone quite massive swings in prices. Global equities and global fixed income market fell by more than 30% and 20% respectively by the end of March due to COVID fears. But as we know it, thankfully, the global central banks have actually stepped in to rescue the market via a series of accommodative monetary policies like cutting interest rates and directly purchasing assets. At the same time, governments all around the world have also followed up by pushing out massive stimulus package. In the US, we have actually seen the 3 trillion heroes X stimulus package. In Europe, the 750 billion euro recovery fund. And at home for me in Singapore, the government has committed a record of more than 50 billion to help its economy tide through the current crisis. As a result, since then, the global equity and fixed income market have rebounded strongly after the meltdown in March. I think right now we are seeing one of the fastest V-shaped recovery in history. In fact, the global fixed income market, which includes the US and Asia high yields, have erased all losses this year and are already looking at positive gains. So fast forward to the present moment, with the central banks cutting rates and governments rushing to rescue the economies, would you say that the uh, conditions have improved significantly? Well, despite the series of accommodative measures rendered so far, the US economy sunk into a recession in the second quarter this year. During the same period, it contracted by almost 33%, making it the biggest quarterly contraction ever in history. The pandemic has also forced economic shutdowns and social distancing measures. Many businesses were not prepared for something like this, especially those with physical store presence. Over the last six months, we have seen restaurants, cafes, 
retail malls, factories facing serious disruptions. Even one of my favourite bars, Starkers, had to shut down as a result. And with people generally staying at home, consumer and business sending are severely affected as well. Therefore, we think that the recovery will depend on the capacity of each individual country to control the pandemic and avoid more waves of infection. But in the US, numbers of new cases continue to increase. And despite the enthusiasm to reopen, some states have to pause the reopening of their economies. But outside of the US, things are actually slightly better. We have seen economic conditions improving for both China and Europe, with PMI numbers rebounding back to expansionary levels, partially due to their good management of the COVID crisis within their countries. Considering other risks that are persistent within the US economy right now, such as the US-China tensions, uncertainty surrounding the US elections, we think that the odds are high that we are staring at a prolonged US recession ahead. How does this recession compare to the financial crisis back in 2008? I mean, they also dropped rates, they stayed there for almost seven years. Can we use that as a comparison or guideline for this round? Or what would you say is different about it? That's a great point that you have raised. I think one of the most notable differences this year so far is that the US Federal Reserve has been pretty quick to act. They lowered interest rate to near zero in March this year, reducing by a full 1.5% within one month, which is quite impressive in terms of speed and magnitude of the adjustment. When you compare to 2008, the Fed took an entire year to gradually adjust the interest rate down from 4.25% in end 2007 to 0.25% by the end of 2008. In addition, benchmark interest rate has been much lower now compared to the averages during the 2008 Great Financial Crisis. Since February, the Fed fund rates have averaged around 0.5%. But compared that to 2008, the average was about 1.5%, which is a difference of almost 1%. Similarly, the average of 0.7% for 10 years Treasury yields right now is also far lower than the average of 3.5% during the 2008 financial crisis. But I think it's also important to note that such supportive monetary measures are not without their own repercussion. The Fed has flooded the economy and markets with massive amount of liquidity and support in the form of direct asset purchase. They have also made revisions to the corporate credit facility program, allowing them to purchase high-yield bonds outright, a move that they didn't even consider in the 2008 financial crisis. The sudden influx of liquidity together with the sharp reduction in interest rate to near zero have actually resulted in the global asset price inflation, where we saw a systemic increase in the value of investment assets and the global bidding war that have actually gradually raised their prices. At the same time, interest rates have been depressed towards very low level, possibly for a very long time, and this makes the environment quite challenging for bonds investors ahead. Yeah, on that note, I also have a question I've been meaning to ask. From reading some of your articles, I see that your team has been calling for interest rates to go lower for a longer period of time. What drives your thesis? At the current juncture, we think that central banks do not have much of a choice right now. They have to keep rates low so that the financial conditions are easy to help struggling economies get back on their feet. 
This lending facility served as critical pillars of support for the lower-rated US firms, which comprises of SMEs who cannot secure lending from the banks. Ultimately, the government needs to ensure that the near-term liquidity problem faced by these corporates and small businesses will not morph into insolvency issues. In fact, it was the staunch support of the Fed for the US corporate credits that has actually reflated investors' confidence, which in, way, in a way stabilizes the corporate credit market in the US. The US credit market actually registered a record high issuance of almost $360 billion this year so far, which we, which we think is actually pretty impressive considering that the economy is in a recession. In turn, such an influx of liquidity into the high-yield market reopened financing options for many companies under the mounting stress of the COVID-19. This enabled some businesses to tide through the current difficult environment and not be forced to shutter operations permanently due to cash flow problems. So you can see, the economy has suffered the greatest quarterly setback in history. COVID is still not under control in the US, and the threat of a second spike is complicating efforts to reopen the economy. All things considered, we think it's quite hard to imagine that Fed can hike rates anytime soon. I recall a couple of months ago, there were actually concerns, right, about rates dipping into negative territory? Yeah, at some point, people were actually speculating that the Feds would go into negative interest rate. About three to four months back, market participants have already briefly priced in the negative Fed fund rate for next year. I think it's an interesting concept, but with all things considered, we think that the negative rates are unlikely to happen in the US. But on the longer term, uh, there's definitely a clear structural trend that interest rates are heading towards zero. If you look at the global bonds yield as an aggregate over the last 30 years, the trend is pretty clear. Yields in the 1990s were around 8-10%. Then it started falling to about 5-6% in 2000s, 2-3% in the 2010s. Fast forward to 2020, we started the year slightly above 1% mark, and now we have already fallen below it. There are many reasons why the long-term interest rate in the US are staying lower for longer. And one of the key reasons is the U.S. structural slowdown in economic growth due to changes in the demographics and productivity growth. Going deeper into this topic will take us quite a bit of time, so I guess we can save that for another episode. Uh, so to summarize what you said, interest rates are low now to support growth during the COVID-19 crisis. But what is going to happen if the world finds a vaccine to COVID-19, say tomorrow? Economic activities will likely resume back to normal after a while, and the growth projections are also going to come back, alongside inflation rates. So wouldn't the central banks then be forced to react by raising interest rates again? And in the event that this scenario occurs, what would happen to our bondholders? This is a fairly good point. I mean, this is the most direct risk to our current investment thesis. With the hunt for a COVID vaccine in full reach now, we are already seeing a few promising results in clinical trials. So it would not be surprising if the world will get its COVID vaccine soon. That being said, however, this is actually quite an optimistic assumption. But even if we do, I doubt that the central banks can adjust interest rate upwards in the next one to two years' time, even after the COVID pandemic is successfully contained. If you think about it, the size of fiscal response has been pretty massive larger than other periods in history. 
and therefore the debt to GDP ratio is expected to be significantly higher after the pandemic passes. A loose monetary policy will likely to have an important role to play in helping government cope with the debt, so that they do not have to outright default or risk being imposed with austerity measures by creditors. And to ensure that the higher government debt do not push bond yields significantly higher, central banks will have to keep interest rates low, going as far as to implement some form of yield curve control. In fact, the rates market is already pricing the Fed to keep rates on hold all the way till mid-2024, even though the US economy will likely recover from recession way earlier than that. I mean, if you take 2008 as recession as a reference, the Fed has left the interest rate near zero, untouched for almost seven years. With that in mind, we think that there is a great likelihood that interest rate will remain low for a long period of time. You mentioned that the lower for longer environment makes it quite challenging for bond investors ahead. Right off the bat, I can imagine that they will be compelled to capture higher yields by shifting further into the riskier end of the credit spectrum in search of yields. Yes, you're right. I believe that the environment for fixed income will be quite challenging ahead. First up, we should address the implication of low rates on investors' portfolio. Looking ahead, we think that it's inevitable that the yield of government and high-quality investment-grade bonds will be ultra-low and may not be meaningfully attractive enough for investors. Hence, we think that bond investors will now have to choose between two difficult decisions. One is to accept the lower yield and therefore a lower total return potential on their bond portfolios. The other option, which we believe will be the more popular one, is to shift into the riskier end of the credit spectrum to reach for you as per se. Like most investment decisions, there are many pros and cons to consider for either of those decisions. In our first option, where investors accept lower yields and thus a lower total return for their portfolios, this may not be an easy decision to undertake. To put into the perspective of a retirement portfolios, this could mean that they may not attain their wealth target for a comfortable retirement by their retirement age. Either that, or they will need to delay their retirement by a few years in order to attain the comfortable sum of money for retirement. I mean, faced with such a difficult decision, you'll not be surprising to see investors going the second option instead, which is to extend further out into the credit spectrum to reach for yields. We believe that investors will be compelled to either take on more high-yield bonds in their portfolio, or straight up buy dividends-paying equities like REITs for their retirement portfolio in order to boost the total return potential. While this seems like a straightforward option, investors will be introducing more risk, especially default risk, credit risk, than they are comfortable with into the portfolio, given the very different nature of this kind of investments. Since we know that investors having to face such limited options will likely be venturing further into the riskier end of the credit spectrum to hunt for yields, are there any specific credit segments that investors should avoid at this juncture? Of course. One way to reduce the risk of such an approach would be to be extra selective and cherry-pick higher yielding bonds from issuers with better financial conditions or at least be able to meet their short-term debt obligation. On the geographical level, we are less keen on the U.S. high yield space, but we still see pockets of opportunity in Asian high yield and EM debt. While this is actually quite a wide topic, 
So maybe I'll start by briefly explaining why we are less favorable on the US high yield credit segment at the current juncture. So even though now that the US is facing both a recession and a rapid rise in the US high yield default rate, from 4.9% in March to about 8.4% in July, credit spreads have actually narrowed significantly during this period, dropping from around 11% to just 4.8%. We think that the US high yield bond market seems to have already gotten over any anxiety regarding the worrisome outlook for default. And this has to do with the fact that Fed has artificially suppressed using their credit asset purchase program. According to Moody's, the default rate in the US is expected to continue rising before peaking over 12% in February next year. Therefore, we think that investors are undertaking a lot of risk for a considerably small amount of rewards in the US high yield space. Okay, so if investors would avoid US high yields, what are the pockets of opportunities for our fellow yield hunters to pay closer attention to now? We are more favorable on Asia high yields and EM hard currency debt right now. Unlike the US counterpart, the Asia high yield credits are still trading at attractive credit spreads of above 600 basis points, which is more than two times its historical average default rate for the Asian high yield. We expect positive sentiment and risk on appetite towards the Asian assets to continue growing ahead. Despite being the first COVID hotspot of the year, China's economy stood the test of time, and we have witnessed steady signs of recovery in both the economic growth and corporate earnings coming up from China. In fact, we are confident that China will be the only economy to register positive economic growth this year. The hunt for you in this ill stuff environment is also a key positive for the Asian high yield. We think that investors will start incorporating more Asian high yield bonds, which is one of the highest yielding segments within the credit space, into their portfolios, which could help drive further compression in yields. Hence, appreciation in prices for investors who are already holding this high yield bond. I mean, to go a bit deeper, the China real estate developer is cornerstone of the Asian high yield market. In one of the previous podcast episodes, Jackson, the fixed income analyst from Hong Kong team, pointed out that the pandemic only had a moderate impact on the China housing market because the property market is supported by a firm demand from an expanding middle class population in China. The COVID crisis merely delayed the orders for new housing, but the pent up demand for new houses didn't actually go away. And he was right. Home sales and construction have recorded a decent recovery since the low in first quarter this year. Lastly, for our bond investors who are choosing between one of the two strategies, which is to either reach for higher yield or seek safe haven assets in investment-grade bonds, is there anything else that they should take note of? Of course, investors should not neglect the value of very high-quality investment-grade bonds in their portfolio. Even though the yields are very low right now, uh, we think that this will serve as a, to diversify the portfolios and to shield the portfolios from massive price swings in the market, which is quite likely considering that we are closing in on the US election in November. For investors who are hunting for you, for bottom-up selection, I believe that research platforms like what you have with Bond Supermart is actually quite a good place for investors to start. For example, I've personally gained quite a fair bit of insights on Asian high yield bonds like China Evergrande and FWD Group 
through your recommended bond reports and articles. Personally, I think having fixed income analysts sifting through bond ideas from the thousands of bond offerings out there in the market and then highlighting the key investment merits and risks makes it a lot easier for me to do my own search when I'm considering bond purchases for my own portfolios. Well, thank you for using our platform and liking it, as well as this insightful sharing. I think our listeners will be more aware of what to expect within the fixed income space ahead. I'm sorry to hear about Starkers though, I hope you find a new favourite bar soon. Um, perhaps you could help support the economy by exploring more bars. Thank you for having me as well. I will definitely do that. This was brought to you by Bond Supermart. I'm Sarah Chia and our guest analyst with us today is Ong Ziyang from the macro team at iFast Singapore. Follow Bond Supermart on Twitter, Facebook and Telegram to get first-hand updates on new bond issues, credit updates and special events. For bond information and articles, visit our website bondsupermart.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.